Friends, welcome online, friends, and uh, in Platinum, and here in this beautiful room. I want to say this, that we're in the vibe of languages, as we'll see with the Tower of Babel. So I thought I will, you know, we've all got our own personal culture, uh, and so I'm part Australian, part Maltese. Uh, so I'm, I thought I'd, I'd connect with you at both levels. So as a Maltese, I want to say hello, and you can say hello back. I'll say, Kevinti Fellowship, and you can say, Tayeb Grazi, Kevinti Fellowship. Oh man, that was good to hear. Now, uh, now I'll speak to you in Australian. G'day, fellowship. That's fantastic. Now I got that out of my system. Now, question: Do you think the world is getting better or worse? Do you think the world is getting? Who thinks it's getting better? Okay, there's one of you. Who two? Who thinks it's getting worse? Who thinks it's staying the same? Who's asleep and hasn't heard my question? No. Now, in one sense, it is getting better. Technologically, wow, artificial intelligence, my goodness, that has taken off in a thousand directions. Um, and it has resulted in a lot of cheating that's gone on by the sounds of it. My sister trained, equips people to go into university, and she said within two years now, there's going to be no more essays. Everyone's going to have to sit in face to face in person, in exams, with pen and paper, like the old days. Because, they, because there's just so much um, cheating going on, they just can't manage it. And uh, so they, she thinks that's the direction. Technology, fantastic. Abuse of it takes you in another direction. Slave trading is becoming more and more illegal. And yet we know human trafficking is on the increase. Uh, we are more vocal about child abuse in families great, but we're more silent when it comes to abortion as numbers go up. And so the kind of we're getting mixed messages as we're journeying through this world. The dominant story of the Western world is that we're inherently good and uh, that occasionally our behavior lets us down. But as we look at uh, Genesis, we'll see that from Genesis 1 to 12, there's a consistent story and that sin is spreading and infiltrating like a cancer getting worse, spreading from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the generation of Lamech, to the generation of Noah, and it's intensifying. And now we're going to see how it's actually collectively taken a form in rebellion against God. And even with the judgment of the flood that led to the near annihilation of the world, you think, oh, maybe we'll learn from that. Except Noah gets out of the ark, and one of the first things he does is he gets drunk. And then his son does that, which is even worse. And you think, we're back to where we were. Nothing has improved. And now we get to Genesis 11. Technically, Genesis 10 and 11 are actually reverse order. In Genesis 11, the world has one shared language. We're sort of pumped up on our own pride. And in the Tower of Babel, humans have developed what's sometimes called the God complex. They pretend to be God. I don't know if you noticed it, but the God who said, let us make man in our image, now has humans saying in verse 11, verse 4, chapter 11, verse 4, come let us build ourselves a city. So the words that fell off the lips of God once is now falling off the lips of human. And we're strutting around in a God complex way. And then humans want to remove God from his throne in the Tower of Babel. Look at verse 4 in full. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. 
Since the heavens is where God dwells, it was seen to be that by building a tower into the heavens, humans are trying to storm the throne room of God and remove him. A bit like when Eve reached for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she was grasping for God, trying to remove God from her world. Very opposite to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Though being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness, was obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. The people of the Tower of Babel and Jesus were moving in completely opposite directions. Now the world has come together with one language. To worship God? No. To defy him, to overthrow him, to replace him. And there they are, building now their own kingdom in opposition to God, using the very gifts God has given them against him. The Tower of Babel, it probably looked like one of these ziggurats that we know from archaeological evidence. Uh, And it's not an anti-technological statement, you know. Noah built an ark using technology. Technology is good. Noah used it for God's glory. Humans were commended to, commanded to subdue the earth and it led to construction of buildings and cities and instrument and, and technology and creation of music. You see it way back in Genesis 4 in Cain's, and it is from Cain's line, but there it is in chapter 4, verse 21. We read, Jubal was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Instruments, technology can be used to praise God or to curse him. We can either sing to man be the glory, great things he has done, or to God be the glory, great things he has done. Uh, you know, you can either sing Highway to Hell with ACDC, or you can sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Take your pick. The opportunity is there for both. You know, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but you know, it takes a long time to copy the Bible word by word. And that's how basically Bibles were produced for the first 1,500 years, often by monks who would spend year after year copying carefully so that there would be proper translations. That meant there were few of them and they were very expensive. So any church probably only had one Bible and was often chained to the pulpit for fear that it would be stolen. Then the printing press came along. We're reminding ourselves here how technology is a friend of Christianity. And all of a sudden, in the Gutenberg Press, Bang, Bibles were produced at a rapid rate. Jesus pamphlets went throughout Europe and all of a sudden Europe was re-evangelized. And then we had the development of sound systems. Maybe not like this. Uh, That that looks like the uh, speakers for a heavy metal band. But uh, sound systems that allowed evangelists like Billy Sunday to preach to thousands, tens of thousands in stadiums this time last century. Now all of a sudden, technology was used to proclaim the name of Christ. Just a lovely story on Billy, Billy Sunday. You probably don't know him, but he was a great evangelist. And uh, the mafia once came to his office, and they warned him that if he kept preaching on certain topics, they would put a contract out on him and kill him. And you know what he did? He laughed. He said, what? You're threatening me with heaven? I've always loved that. <laughs> I love that Billy Sunday story. And then the development of the radio and recording systems that allowed the word of God now to go into every part of the world. Uh, If you know Andy Stanley, his father Charles Stanley, very famous 
preacher. He was actually, at one point, he was heard to be preaching the Bible on radio in every country, on every day in every country. Isn't it amazing how the gospel rides and God uses technology to get his word out. And then, of course, there's been TV satellites and uh, internet and so forth for the good news to go out in every country. Seriously, how many people here have actually heard about fellowship by going Googling online, then going online, as our dear friends are right now, and we say hello to you guys out there, uh, as you're checking out church, perhaps for the first time in a safe distance, all of it through technology. No, the problem is not technology. The problem here in the Tower of Babel is they defied God's command. God said, go, and they said, no. Genesis 1.28, remember this verse? Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. But instead of going out, they stayed together and went up. Uh, some think that they were actually trying to avoid another flood judgment. But whatever they were doing, remember, this is not just a, a tower. This is a city of Babel in defiance against God. Instead of calling on the name of the Lord, what they're doing is actually wanting to make a name for themselves. And it kind of reminded me of that uh, oldish song now called Fame. Anyone remember the song Fame? No, that's right, because it probably was written after you were born. Uh, let me read to you the lyrics. <clears throat> I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. I'm going to make it to heaven. Light up the sky like a flame. Fame. I'm going to live forever. Baby, remember my name. I wasn't planning to sing that, but I just, every time I get to those last two lines. And you know the joke is, I couldn't remember who sung the song. I had to go and Google it. Who was it again? I can't even remember. Irene Carey, that's right. See, you know, you could have joined me in the song. But look at that last line. I'm going to live forever, baby, remember my name. That's exactly what the people of Babel were aspiring for. Fame. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And a search for fame is really a search for eternity. A search where you're the forever hero in eternity. So desperate for people to remember you. And that's why it's pride. It's pride. And think of it, the name of Abel, the name of Noah and Abraham. What do we do with that? We honour those names. They are remembered because they call them the name of the Lord. Their names are written in the book of faith. But names like Adam, Cain, Lamech, what are they? they? We just pity them because of the foolish choices that they had made. In fact, the whole, the whole city of uh, Babel, the only way they're referred to in this is the word Babel, which means confused, fools. That's the only way they're remembered. Why? Because they sought to make a name for themselves, not call on the name of the Lord. They sought their kingdom and not his. So can I say, you and I will also fall into exactly the same foolish confusion if we are not committed in our own hearts to make a name for God instead of making a name for ourselves. We will make the same mistake if we are building our kingdom and not his. If we seek our glory, there is no eternity worth remembering 
if our life becomes the sum total of why we exist. It's not about you and it's certainly not about me. Now, this is a funny story, though. The Tower of Babel is a funny story because from the human's point of view, that tower would have looked magnificent, large. I mean, the ziggurats in the Middle East, they were one thing. Then you have the pyramids, of course, in Egypt. They were another expression of human technological advancement, and they seriously are amazing. I was there three weeks ago at a conference, and I spent a day looking at, amongst other things, the pyramids. In fact, they're the, they were the tallest building up until the Eiffel Tower. Now that's thousands of years before they were kind of had some challenge to their height. And when I was at the pyramids, I'm thinking, this is what happens when you don't believe in the resurrection. You end up spending a lot of money building things that you don't really need because they can't actually help you move from this age to the age to come. But nevertheless, they did leave us with some impressive architecture. And then, of course, we've got, hey, Dubai happens to be the city that has the biggest, build, tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa, 2,720 feet high. We're talking 160 floors. The concrete that makes the Burj Khalifa weighs equivalent to 100,000 elephants. That's one big mummer of a building. Who's been on top of Burj Khalifa? Anyone? I would like to go, but uh, just a bit too expensive for me. So uh, I'm appreciate, I appreciate the hide from the down. I had a friend of mine who went. Unfortunately, there was a bit of a sandstorm and he got to see nothing, poor guy. From God's point of view, though, the Tower of Babel is so small, you notice he has to come down. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. I find that really funny. The... the um, the way in which uh, rather than being a threat to God, the whole story is set up to humiliate them. Because there is God, the Tower of Babel is so small, he has to pull out the magnifying glass. And where exactly is this tower that's supposed to be intimidating me? We make our plans. But God humbles them. And yet, in verse 6 we're told, The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language we have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, God's it sounds like God's kind of intimidated by humans. But really what it's saying is God has made us humans as his image bearers with the capacity to do extraordinary things. And I'm telling you, in the last hundred years, the extraordinary, the degree to which technology has advanced is really quite breathtaking. We have the capacity to do unbelievable things, both for good or for evil. What gets me is, when I think, say, when we do engage in big human endeavours, we often use it as a source of pride. So you think, you know, for a long time, the Russians and the Americans were in a space race, right? And in the early part, the Russians had it all over the Americans. At every point, they were beating them. Uh, up until the Americans landed on the moon. But before that, the first, uh, the, the Soviets got together, worked really hard, developed a technology that finally put a human into space. Wow, that was a breakthrough. And it made the news all over the world. And what did the cosmonauts say in Sputnik when they got it into space? The thing that they said is this, we have gone into heaven and there is no God. I mean, firstly, 
they weren't reading the Bible properly. Um, there's different definitions of the word heavens and, uh, uh, and they didn't understand the Bible properly. But look at that. Man's instinct when he gets to get work to achieve some technological advancement is to defy God in some way. And you see that when you get humans trying to come up with solutions like communism or fascism, or even liberal democracy, let's face it, forever promising some version of heaven on earth and usually leaving a trail of disaster behind and all the time trying to take the place of God himself. So what does God do? He puts a break on our rebellion. In verse 7, this is God's judgment. Come, let us go down, confuse their language, so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Ah, the reason why there is no common language is ultimately a judgment of God himself. It's a way of him restraining our evil, putting us into damage control. But God's plans won't be frustrated. When he says, go and fill the earth, we're going to fill the earth. And humans did exactly that. They, they were scattered. They did go to the four corners of the earth. And they were scattered physically, but we were actually scattered, scattered more profoundly culturally. And our language now keeps us at a distance from each other, restraining the capacity for us to do evil. I think of, uh, there's a, a poem I read years ago called Babel 1970. And it always captured for me the pain of what language does when you're with someone sitting on a metro and you're trying to talk, but your language functions as a barrier. Let me read to you. It's a poem by Steve Turner. Side by side we sat. Silence by silence we listened. Chained within our languages, gagged with the words our mothers taught us. I strained for something to say, but knew I could only spill a mouthful of foreign coins, none of which you could spend. That is the sadness of our barriers. The wall between us all, linked sometimes with handshakes and smiles, split often with warfare, man's most popular multilingual device. You know, there are 7,117 languages, more or less, that mark humanity. Each of us, each one, keeping us at a painful distance. You know, I went to the barber the other day and, and uh, uh, I, it, it, there we were, so close. And I wanted to thank him for that great massage he was giving. He's Pakistani. You know, they give that great, I don't, I don't, sorry, ladies, you probably don't get it in the hairdresser, but, but you get a good Pakistani or Indian barber and they just massage your head after their haircut. It's fantastic. I don't like massages from the neck down, but I like a good head massage. Anyway, I just wanted to thank him. I wanted to talk to him. We were so close together. He knew very little English. I virtually knew no Urdu. And there we were so close and yet so far apart. All I could do is couple of thumbs up. That was it. It was pathetic. And by the way, friends, if you're, if you're seeing our podcast, uh, this week we'll be looking at uh, how to be a cultural learner rather than a cultural critic. And one of our own, uh, Bart, will be, uh, who's an expert in intercultural communication, uh, will be uh, interviewed for that. Well, we think that if we're going to understand each other, everything will all be well. But of course, the, the lesson that the internet taught us was that's not necessarily the case, is it? You know, even with a Google Translator, 
communication on its own won't necessarily solve problems. Unless the heart is right, all it will do is create more grief. And in a sense, we've seen that with the internet. It's created platforms in which bullying is going on and, um, and, and you can get instructions on how to build bombs and, and you get Facebook that connects you with your childhood sweetheart that you end up having an affair with or, uh, and you're exposed to endless streams of porn and, and you think, wow, we, we're communicating all right, but it doesn't seem to be doing us much good. Now, it's not that God doesn't want to bless us with fame. You know, he actually wants to give you honor and eternity, and he wants to make your name great. In fact, the next chapter, God will say to Abraham, I will make your name great as you become an agent of blessing for the world. And when you decide, if you haven't already, to follow Jesus Christ, we are told that your name will be personally written in the Lamb's book of life. And the ink will be the blood of Jesus himself that will write your name forevermore. You are not going to be forgotten. You are not going to be lost in, the, in eternity. You know, to that end, I, I kind of, I always think of the David Livingston story. Uh, he was a famous explorer and missionary in Africa. And when he was a boy, him and his brother were discussing after church about their dreams and hopes when they got older. And he wanted to serve Jesus with the nations and his brother wanted to make millions of dollars and uh, they both achieved their dreams. But it's interesting, when the brother who made the millions died, this was what was written on his tombstone. Here lies the brother of David Livingston. <laughs> I always think that's a kind of a prophetic warning to all of us who want to invest in something other than God's kingdom. And it's not that God doesn't want us to work together. He does. Unity is such a big theme, but it has to be on his terms. Otherwise, it's just a form of idolatry. Jesus says in John 12, 31, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is the kind of unity God wants. When Jesus was crucified under the title, This is the King of the Jews, he purposely had it done so that it was written not in one but three languages, Aramaic for the, for the Hebrew speakers, the Jews, in Latin and in Greek for the Roman Empire, for everyone to know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Of that there is no doubt. And 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, there we are in Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the undoing of Babel symbolically where you have God-fearers from many nations gathered, now filled with the Spirit. And what are they doing? Calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, being baptized in his name, asking for forgiveness and forging a new community. Now a people who are gathered in the name of Christ, bound together by the unity of the Spirit. And what's left is the command, go and make disciples of all nations. Let others share in this blessing that we have. Here is now a God-given unity. And every time we gather for church, aren't we seeing an expression of that? Go and make. You know, Christianity was birthed in Jerusalem, but it was always meant to be international. Way back as far as Genesis 12, 4,000 years ago, God had said to Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the world, the nations. And not surprisingly, you know, of all the languages in the Bible, 3,500 3, languages carry the Bible 
in their own language, either in part, maybe a gospel, maybe the New Testament, maybe the whole of the Bible. That people have been working for the last 2,000 years to make sure that the Word of God is written in everyone's language so they can learn and study and proclaim God in their heart language. I love this quote from, uh, uh, from a book called Whose Religion is Christianity? And it makes this observation, Christianity is the religion of over 2,000 language groups in the world. More people pray and worship in more languages than in any other religion in the world. You, Christianity is unique because of its ability. Oh, is that the 10-2? No, it's already passed, hasn't it? I thought it might have been the 10-2. Because it happened during the first service. So we had to stop and pray. No, I had to, we wanted to. But look at that phrase, more people pray and worship in more languages than in any other religion in the world. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't expect everyone to learn the original Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> he actually wants the word of God to be translated into every language. It's the incarnational nature of Jesus' message. He wants, it to, he wants his word to go into your heart and mine, and my heart and mine, in our own personal culture, and then together, collectively we get to understand the word of God so much better seriously at, at fellowship we are we love being an international church with 110 different nations and climbing we are every service we are an expression of the reversal of Babel but we also recognize that it is important to learn your the word of God in your mother tongue in your heart language so we have if you didn't know already we have over 10 different kinds of Bible study groups 242 groups in different languages, in the language of Arabic and Portuguese, Korean and Mandarin, Spanish and Urdu, Tagalog, Farsi, Russian and French. Because it's, it's a high value. On Sundays, we get to celebrate together as people from all nations. Then, where possible, in small groups, we get to learn the word in our heart language and to praise God. You know, Jesus made two things very clear. Number one, I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades will stand against it. I love that promise. Nothing is going to stand in the way. As the gospel is proclaimed, the church is established. This is his project. The only thing guaranteed to be here when Jesus returns is not the Burj Khalifa, is not your business and job. It's not McDonald's or Google, juggernauts as they may be. The only thing guaranteed to be here when Jesus returns is us, the church of Jesus Christ, ready to receive the bride in all his glory. Or the bridegroom, should I say, in all his glory. This is the one cause that will go on into eternity. If you want to be remembered, that's what you want to be investing in. And secondly, Jesus is not coming back until the job of having his name proclaimed in every nation, language, and tribe takes place. And that still has not yet happened. Jesus says in Matthew 24, it's not on the screen, but listen to the word that he says. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom, this good news, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then, in brackets, only then will the end come. Right. So let's speed on his return. Every time we build, every time we, sorry, establish another site, we are ex part of his project to build his kingdom, to grow his church. 
And there we'll see people gathered in his name from many nations, those who know him, those who don't. For those who know him, will keep growing the health of the church. For those who don't, they'll come into the orbit of the gospel. The people that God has brought to Dubai, searching for a, a better life, come to discover eternal life. And so I want to leave you with a set of questions before I close. And so I want to ask you again, think of your, just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to ponder. Are you invested in your, are you investing in your kingdom? Or are you investing in God's kingdom? Are you seeking a name for yourself? Or are you seeking to promote the name of Christ? Will you consider going and making disciples at our third side? Not simply attending, but serving. And has your vision for God's kingdom taken root in such a way that even in your own personal prayer life, you're actually praying for the third side? Well, friends, if that's exactly what you've been doing, then you know God has answered your prayer. We haven't found a hotel yet, but we have found a pastor, and his name is Daniel. And let me introduce you to him right now. Daniel, let's give him a warm round of applause. Daniel from Kenya, married to Joanne with two beautiful children. There they are. And on another occasion, we'll get to interview them. What can I say? But you married up, bro, just like me. I did. Good man, smart man. Now, Daniel, this is the first time uh, this congregation may have met you. Mm -hmm. Now, Daniel, you have been involved in church planning in Kenya. You have uh, been a part of fellowship for a number of years, now a couple of years. So you got stuck here post-COVID and stayed, I think. Yes. So but let's take a step back. How did you come to know Jesus? Let's start there. I was, I was actually very fortunate because I'm a pastor's kid. So grew up in church, had the gospel, um, knew what to do, when to say amen, all those kind of things. So, hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. And I was really fortunate that I got to hear that. But at the age of 13, that's the time I believe that uh, Jesus got my heart and I responded to the gospel and I knew that uh, it's not only wanting to see what he can do for me, but just to realize that at that point is what Jesus did for me. And so, yeah, that was, that was amazing even to think about what he did, like what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that uh, God demonstrates his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the gospel right there, that yeah. it is what he has done for me. Amen. Amen. God gives us his best when we're at our worst. What a great demonstration of his love. Now, you've touched on it already, but like, just pick one thing that you're particularly, you delight in in Jesus. What do you love about him? Uh, just the way he is described, especially the way Paul describes him in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, where he says that he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all created things. Then verse 16 actually explains more, says that for by him all things were created, things that we can see and things that we cannot see. Whether powers, whether uh, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's one of the ways I can say because my words fail me to describe him. But the way he is described in his word, and just like you have rightly put it in your sermon, the way that this same, same Jesus did not consider uh, uh, to be God, like equal, 
but he humbled himself and died on the cross. Such a man, such a way to, to, to show love to humanity. Um, I mean, our words may fail, but when you look at the word of God, really we see this is a man who loves us. And he's not just a man, he is God. Amen. Amen. Just think, you're looking here at answered prayer. This is answered prayer. It comes Praise in many shapes God. and sizes, and this is one of them. Well. <laughs> and I love your height. Can I say that? <laughs> I'm making a new rule now that no one can be taller than me who mm. we employ. <laughs> I think we're in serious trouble if I make. Well, I have a lot of Filipinos with me as well. <laughs> Not as many Nigerians, but more Filipinos. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, seriously, third sight. Yes. Fears, but what are you excited about? Well, just to know first and foremost, uh, in your someone you say that Jesus said, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. Mm. But two things that really I'm excited about is to see those who do not know Jesus to come to a realization of the saving grace, but also those who come to see them growing and maturing and to see them also serving. And even as we see them being sent back to their home countries, knowing that they have met with the Lord Jesus Christ and then themselves, they are preaching the gospel to the end of the earth. Amen. Amen, Amen brother. Now, one thing we must always be careful of, it is not the name of fellowship that we want to promote. That should not be added. And, and the temptation for a church that grows is pride. Pride in the pastor's hearts, our heart. Pride in the congregation's heart. So we're juggling that, wanting to be thankful, wanting to be privileged that we get front row seats to see God doing amazing things. But always remember, this is God's work. And we run, we're on the very edge of falling into pride and the, and the same issue of the Tower of Babel. So let's go to prayer now that God will give us humble hearts and yet the privilege of actually seeing many people come to know him. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we firstly want to say, forgive us for seeking to make a name for ourselves, and not being jealous for your name. Forgive us for built, wanting to build our kingdom and not invest in your kingdom. And even as we look at the third site, wherever it may be, Lord, we, we just want to say, please deliver us from the sin of pride. Uh, Father, we do not want to make a name for ourselves. We know the foolishness in which the people of the Tower of Babel look to us now, thousands of years later. We do not want to walk in their folly. Please deliver us from pride. But we want to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to build your church, purchased with your blood. We are but servants and children, and you are the Father, and your Son is the Lord, and your Holy Spirit is the friend. And thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers and raising up our dear brother, Daniel, with his beautiful wife, Joanne, and their beautiful children. And we ask now, Father, raise up the funds. Raise up the funds to make this happen. Provide us with a space and a place and a hotel. We've hit brick walls, Lord, but that is fine because it'll happen on your terms at your timing. And Lord, we pray, raise up an army of, of servants who will play their part, not simply to attend this third site, but to serve in it and to make it a gospel community where love and truth stand out. Oh, Lord, we are jealous for your name. And we want the people whom you've brought to Dubai to give you the honor that you deserve and to enjoy life with you, life that is true life. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said? Amen. Amen indeed.